Today is Wednesday, June 7th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. <sighs> what the heresy? So many crazy things, crazy gospels, crazy doctrines. Sending your, sow your seed today, I'll send you a blessing. Your blessing unlocks at midnight. Oh, stop it. Uh, hear about my toils with social media Christian groups. Um, not that I'm perfect, but goodness. Um, let's see. What does it mean to work out one's salvation with fear and trembling, like the scripture says? Does that mean you really got to work for your salvation? That's not really what that's saying. We'll talk about that. Does God sleep? Aside from, you know, the verse that says God never sleeps, nor does he slumber, that we get to after like 30 minutes of this, uh, the answer is no. God does not sleep. Um, Nazis everywhere. Like, if you guys if you guys are not on chat, um, you, should get, you should join Clubhouse every now and then. Check out the chat. It's it's pretty crazy. It's like it's like uh, audio times two. So everyone gets on a Nazi kick. Everyone's calling everyone Nazis, and apparently by the find out by the time I find out about it and flip over to chat, um, it, it's like a war of you're a Nazi, you're a Nazi. So Nazis everywhere. Um, let's see. Beyond that, we talk about uh, the fulfilled prophecies and some liberal literary Christian criticism of the 1900s. Blah blah blah. That talks about how. All the New Testament writers knew they were following a lie or were falsifying information, which is really interesting because they probably wouldn't have all been martyred and died for something they knew they falsified. Um, anyway, stuff like that. So um, enjoy this broadcast and check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon, free to read with Kindle subscription. Check out the Ask a Christian store, grab a t-shirt, grab a coffee mug, support this podcast. And you can also straight up show some love and donate. The link is in the description to uh, help us out. This is unfortunately not free to do. So uh, we appreciate it, and please share these links on social media, and take care until next time. Speaking, speaking of shadow banned, why could that be? Like, I I, um, I decided I was going to try to get more active in uh, social media on the Ask a Christian thing, which is probably a waste of time, um, starting from nothing. Eh. Anyways, but I tried. So as such, I, uh, I just, like, typed in, like, you know, Christian or Christianity um, for groups on Facebook and just started, like, kind of subscribing to all the ones that came up with you know, the most members. So it's just like, join, 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 join. And like three days later, I'm looking through the feed. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, what the heresy is this? Like almost all of them. I'm, I'm like leaving and unsubscribing or making like, you know, snarky Christian comments and getting banned. Like, I cannot believe the level. It's like, you know, there's so many are just like, oh, um, unlock your scheduled biblical, like your scheduled healing session is going to be live at 7 p.m. Like prayer this way, uh, send your prayers this way. Um, and like, you know, prophetess Bishop Apostle is going to release your healing. Receive it now. I'm like, ah. Yeah, it's tough. Being, shadow band. It's tough being a cessationist there, Nate. Dude, that's so far even not a cessationist. That, that's like so much <laughs> on a different level. Chris is trolling this morning. I'm uh, trolling, so. I think it's. I think oh. it's interesting. So, Nate, uh, the one thing I will say, uh, first, good morning. Uh, but there, so believers certainly don't have the monopoly on this, because I have done the same thing previously. Uh, you know, in, in, in atheist groups, um, and some of them are, some of them are just terrible. Like, um, just you know, all they do is make memes about how you know stupid you are if you believe in a god, or things like that. And so, yeah, like you certainly don't have the, you know, certainly don't have the monopoly there because it, it, it's on both sides of the fence. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my thought for that this morning. I have a question. When someone exclaims because something is so preposterous, 
um, and you want to do the question mark, exclamation point, etc., which comes first? Because it, it's technically you're a question like, what the heck? Um, so is that technically a question mark first or is it an exclamation mark first? Because before you realize you're asking a question, you're exclaiming because it's so absurd. Is there a proper way to improperly write that? Actually, there's there's something even better. <clears throat> I saw this in a discussion being uh, had online once uh, on, on YouTube. Uh, I don't remember who it was. But basically, when, when the person is, is so far gone, what you respond is with is, you're not even wrong. Like, like, like you're so far off, like, like you aren't even wrong enough to be wrong. You're so far past wrong. Uh, and, and like, I've, I've seen that. And, and generally speaking, people, you know, when you say, you know, you're not even wrong, a lot of people don't even get it. Like they don't even understand, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's what I do now when people are so far over the edge, like you're not even wrong. Like you'd have to come so far back to the side of right to then talk about you being wrong. Exactly. And then you'd still have a long way to go to be right. But um, but I think yeah. grammatically, it would be question mark first. To what you were saying. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think. Welcome, Vic. Good morning. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> it takes me a while to figure out the mute button when I'm talking. Um, yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> I was just typing something and I didn't listen carefully. And I'm also doing my evening walk, so I will go back onto mute. <laughs> no problem. So, Chris, what uh, what did you do? How did you live with yourself yesterday when I was not uh, not here for you? Um, well, I, mean, I, was I was the entire day. So I had um, one of my business partners and his daughter and my son in the car for a drive to Tampa yesterday, which was super fun and uh we worked at the azteca wesley chapel and my son climbed ladders and hung stuff and he's 13 so i was i was quite the proud pop safely with harnesses and all that proper stuff right nope not at all just climbing ladders that were 20 feet tall and he went right well, up I... and he drilled into metal and he put screws and butterflies through metal. It was super impressive. Well, I tried to throw you a CPS branch there. <laughs> no, it's totally legal for in, in the States. It's totally Michael probably, and this is for Michael's benefit. In the States, um, you can have your children work for you, and there are no such thing as child labor laws for your own kids. Not that, but, you know, spelunking and, like, cliff diving and crawling on dangerous rooftops, like, with metal shooting out of it, that stuff. Yeah, Chris, we're, we're on the way. Like, all proper safety gear was worn with reflective vests and everything. Oh, I, uh, okay, so, <clears throat> I don't know whether to take this down this trail or not. I, I got a few things to share. First of all, um, uh, I'm going to be doing uh, a collaboration with uh, the guest we had on last week, uh, Dr. Kip Davis. Uh, he has courses. So if you're interested in learning um, about kind of ancient Mesopotamia from a, from a biblical perspective, he's, he has this, uh, he has some courses available on MVP courses. Um, and uh, I'm going to be helping to helping him to promote some of that. I'm not getting paid for any of it at all, um, but he's a starving scholar. So he will be. 
Uh, so there's a chance for somebody to, to learn from a, from a biblical scholar if they're interested. Um, and I'm also What's taking part name, in Michael? Kip Can Davis. Yeah. yeah. K-I-P-P-D-A-V-I-S. He was, uh, he was a teacher, uh, a, I guess you say professor at uh, Trinity Western University in British Columbia for a time. Uh, he was raised very hardcore fundamentalist Christian. Uh, he's now an atheist, um, but uh, he doesn't allow that to get in the way of his scholarship. <clears throat> Although I'm sure Chris will just call him a liberal scholar. Um, and, yep. Uh, yeah, but he's he's certainly he's he's so far beyond smart. Like I felt stupider just for speaking with him, um, as evidenced by the word stupider. Um, but it, yeah, there's a, there's some good stuff people. Go, and then next week, next Wednesday, I'm taking part in a discussion, specifically not a debate, uh, on Donnie's channel. He, he runs a channel on YouTube called standing for truth. Obviously he's Christian. Uh, and I'm going to be discussing evidence for the existence of God with a gentleman named Paul Price. So that should be fun. Well, you'll find it, Michael, you'll find it interesting that uh, Matt Yester, uh, whom I think you know, um, he had a discussion with Stanley. Remember Stanley, Nate, the guy with the parrot icon? Oh, please punch me in the face. Please punch me in the face. Oh, not God. well enough to know what was the discussion about. I don't remember. He's the, he's, don't so well. Stanley is mentally ill. Like, And I know Michael's not going to make any you know proclamations, but I mean, it's pretty clear from just dealing with Stanley for 20 minutes that... He needs some kind of medication and very deep therapy. Um, he's the seven-day cycle you know, guy, Dave, uh, Nate. Yeah. Yeah, he's a seven-day cycle He, he uses oh. his, his cute little seven-day cycle thing. Like, he thinks this is like the kill shot argument when it's really a dumb argument. Anyway, but he, he got into it with Matt Yester, and, you know, it was it was hilarious. So it's interesting. So I've, I've had a number of conversations with Matt. Matt actually came. I've, been, I've invited him on the podcast. We had a couple of very lengthy discussions. And I, it's, it's funny. I, I don't really have a problem with Matt when I'm speaking with him one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, we, we, can, we can dialogue pretty easily. But unfortunately, there's that kind of sycophant band that we're all familiar with, you know, our friend uh, who, who Shall Not Be Named. And when they all get together and start stirring each other up, the, the, the quality of, in my humble opinion, the quality of conversation just starts to deteriorate and it just turns into to rhetoric. So, but where's Chris, where is this, where was this conversation had? The bowels of Clubhouse, maybe? I don't know. I don't know he's ignoring me now. It was just, ooh, choppy. Matrix. Matrix. But yeah, I saw Hamza down there raise his hand to speak. If you can't get up, let us know and we'll have someone else invite you. But I did uh, send you an invite. But yeah, Michael, so I have a question in this wall. By the way, yeah, let's send out some other invites if anyone else wants to join. Jump on stage, bring your questions or type in chat. So, Michael, as an atheist, pretty hardcore one, although nice. Um, are there some things that you just be like, fellow atheist, shut up. That's stupid. Um, like yesterday, one of the questions, and I mean, it didn't sound like normally you can tell where it's like an acne ridden teenager 
who's just like, oh, yeah, I have a question about God. And you're just like, okay, here comes a troll. Um, it was a little more, a little more um, well-spoken than that. But the guy's like, I have a simple but serious question. You know, what did Jesus actually sacrifice on the cross? So as someone who's a pretty hardcore atheist, putting on your Christian hat for a minute, or your atheist who understands the Christian paradigm hat for a minute. What do you think about that? Are you like, oh, fair question. What did he really sacrifice? Or are you just like, well, I don't believe this anyway, but the story says it was, you know, he was like beaten within an inch of his life and then like spikes drove through his arms and legs and crucified. So would you think, ah, what does that really matter? Because in the eternal sense, he's going to live forever, come back to life, and it's, you know, no harm, no foul. Except, would you at least be like, yeah, that's a pretty rough weekend. Like, yeah, sure, he's ultimately fine. But, I mean, that wasn't fun. Like, my thought is always like, bro, I mean, I don't want to say go out and experience a crucifixion. But, I mean, if you think there was no sacrifice, I mean, I guess go try it. What's your thought on that? Where do you kind of stand? So I, I can see kind of both. I can see kind of both sides. So e even when I was, I, I think the way to best describe it. So when I was a Christian, um, I had I had pretty strong feelings about it, like I think most Christians do. And the way I looked at it was, here was here was like you know God, the second person in the Trinity, essentially condescending to come to Earth. Uh, to mingle among his creation as one of us. Um, and then, yes, you know, lay down his life and probably, you know, yeah, there are certainly better ways to die. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I can't even imagine what a death like that would, would be like pretty, pretty crazy. Um, for basically the, you know, paying, paying the price for the, you know, for, for sin. And, Although it was always something that had a little bit of a question mark in, in my head, like if I'm being 100% honest, because it, it was like one thing that I always questioned was, was why, right? Like, you know, why that sacrifice had to be made. And I don't, I don't know that I ever had a satisfying to me answer. From the atheist perspective, I've heard the arguments like, oh, you know, Jesus had a bad weekend for your sins. And stuff like that, which I think is maybe minimizing it a, a little bit, um, because even if even if we toss aside the divinity aspect, there you know for a second, like even if we say um, that the story it, the story isn't true that he wasn't God, here was a because first century apoc apocalyptic preachers were pretty commonplace, is my understanding, in you know first century Palestine. So here's a guy, you know, here's a guy, you know, preaching. Yeah, what you did there. And then, yeah, and, and but here's a guy preaching and then essentially tortured to death. Like, that's still terrible, even if you put the deity part aside. Um, so I guess the best answer to your question in my, my rambling way is I don't think I don't think it's a bad question. But I have heard it asked in a less than charitable fashion, like like I've asked the question. Um, and I think I'm pretty charitable in most of the questions that I ask, but, but you can't, but I've, I've also seen the question asked in a way that is kind of backhanded. Like, look, look I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to pick a fight. I'm not really interested in what you have to say. I just want to hear what you have to say. And then I'm going to tell you all the ways that I think you're wrong. Sure. Well, thank you for that input. Uh, Gia, welcome to stage. What's on your mind today? 
Hey, so I just wanted to ask a question about um, the verse that talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. I was just wondering, how do we how do we take that verse? Because I don't really understand it since I come from, you know, since I'm someone who believes in eternal security, I don't really know how to reconcile it. Um, I think err on the side of caution, like be careful, right? Because even though you, you believe in eternal security, which eternal life is eternal, but you know, the counter to that is, well, let's say you're not being cautious and not being careful. And you're just kind of like, well, whatever, it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm secure. I'm saved. And then you, maybe not you, but you keep going down this slippery slope into where you're doing more and more things um, to where maybe someone would do something so egregious as a lifestyle in this habitual sin to where even the people who believe in eternal security would say, okay, well, even though we believe in eternal security, look at your lifestyle. Like you may have thought you were eternally secure, but by evidence of how you're living your life, you clearly are not because you were never saved. So you need to become saved because you are certainly not saved by the fruits we're seeing right now. So I, I would say that even from an eternally secure position. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because I remember um, I had kind of a, a little conversation with my friend and she was just saying that, you know, that can't be true. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why people believe that because of, you know, that verse. But I mean... We can't really, we can't work for our salvation anyway. So that's why I didn't really understand the verse. Oh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, like whenever it says work, like if we're fixating on work. Um, oh, there's another conversation that was right around. Oh, there's another another thing that makes me think that it's just linguistics. Like someone was quibbling over like Jesus, uh, Jesus was made flesh. Like in the King James Bible, it says Jesus was made flesh in John 1, 14. And I'm like, and they were trying to use that. It was like a Muslim whose English is not his first language was trying to use that as saying Jesus was created. I'm like, no, no, no. Jesus was made. Oh, no, like Jesus became flesh. No one says Jesus was created. Uh, it was like one of those things. So when it says like work for your salvation, I wouldn't think for a second that means like, you know, toil and strive and like you're, you're doing something for your salvation because it's by grace through faith alone, right? Say by grace through faith. Um, so it's not like work, work, but it's like, you know, if you, if you have a decision to make, right? Like you're you're like standing on a train tracks. So it's like, oh, I have a decision to push an old lady on the train tracks or not do that. Uh, what are you going to do? So, I mean, th that's what I would say. It's not like work, like you're striving for your salvation, but it's like you have to live your life. So, I mean, are you going to say, well, I can't do work, so I just have to sit in a corner until God takes me home? Well, no, you have to navigate your life. You have to do stuff. You have to get out of bed in the morning. So whenever you're going about your day, just, you know, be, be careful to focus on God, meditate on the word, like, you know, the Bible talks about. And, you know, keep your mind centered on Christ. And if someone's like, hey, want to get blackout drunk and, I don't know, do something dangerous and illegal and sinful? It's like, no, no, I want to abstain from that. So I wouldn't really call that working for your salvation. I would say, you know, you're, you're taking your salvation serious, falling into the realm of working it out with fear and trembling. Like you're not like, oh, Jesus saves me so I can do whatever I want. Technically, sure, you, you can do whatever you want. Um, but in reality... If you do whatever you want so much, there's going to be a point where it's like, okay, you, you, yeah, Jesus saves you. It's not by works. So no one can boast, but you're not saved. Look where you are. So you can say like, oh, Jesus has got me. I can do all things. I can do whatever I want. Well, technically, yes, but realistically, you've done that so much and so long, you're not even saved now. So now you can't say you're eternally secure. You can say you were never saved and need to be saved.
Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? As an also eternally secure person? Um, yeah, I'll just post an article about it for you as well, Gia, for further reading. Thank you. I also wanted to ask another question, if that's okay. Sure. So, um, somebody, <laughs> somebody asked me if I'm born again, and like what he meant by born again was baptized, and <laughs> he takes Acts twenty two sixteen to mean that water baptism washes away sins. How do I, <laughs> like? How do I make this, well, I can't make anyone do anything, but how do I kind of bring this person to an understanding that it doesn't mean that? That's an interesting question. I thought that was going to go a different direction. I think we need baptized in here to answer that. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you point someone to realize that born again does not mean baptized? Well, he says you have to be born of the spirit in the water. So if someone is saying you must be baptized, I, besides just common sense, I, I don't know how to make that case because born of the water means like a, a natural birth. So if they're saying like born of the water means baptized, that's like jump. That's putting the cart before the horse. That's like going ahead. So it's like, OK, well, we don't know what happened at birth. I guess that doesn't count. So we're saying you need to be born of the spirit and born of the water. If born of the water by that, they mean baptized in, in water. I'd say that's well, that's putting the second step first, even by their own logic. Like that would that would defeat them. Like if someone doesn't just automatically understand that born of the water is like natural birth, and born of the spirit means you know born again, like sealed by the Holy Spirit, saved by Jesus, then I don't know another way to put that to them. Chris, you have thoughts, or brother? How would how would you approach that person other than learn to read a book or I don't know? We've been having that discussion on the other forum and. Uh... You know, he's using Acts 2.38. And uh, so I brought up like John 5.24. It says, you know, because we believe we cross over from death to life. And that's before we're baptized. But, you know, he would uh, hunker down on, you know, well, sins are remitted at baptism. Even though uh, we cross over to life through belief. And uh, so... <clears throat> It's not easy to get them to do uh, to believe things, you know. It's because they'll they'll pretext, they'll hunker down on the one verse. And I tell people that, you know, we use all the verses in the Bible to come to a conclusion. You know, in Hebrews it says that sins are remitted whenever Jesus sprinkles His blood on the holy of holies, the mercy seat in in heaven. You know, well, so yeah, because, well, because yeah, because Jesus says His blood's going to be poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. But then I can just see them saying, well, yeah, that's that's a sacrifice, but you receive it upon baptism. Like, I mean, I, I, I could just sort of foresee that if they don't want to get it, they're not going to get it and they can play that game forever. Like they could just like keep kicking that can down the road. So, I mean, I, I guess like what's what's the Bible say? Maybe the best advice, like, you know, maybe it's in the wrong context, but I think there's some wisdom to be derived. Like, you know, at first, you know, warn them once, then warn them twice before like God and the congregation then have nothing more to do with them. Like while a different context, maybe. I mean, I don't think that's a bad way to go, right? Like, try with someone so much, but I mean, if they don't want to get it, they're not going to get it. So you're just you're just like spinning your wheels at that point. But yesterday, mm -hmm. it's like you know, we're talking to Ernesto, uh, peace be upon him, and you know, he's very staunch Catholic, I, I think, or Orthodox or whatever he is. Um, he believes you must be baptized to be saved. Um, and so Lou, <laughs> Lou was asking, is Lou in here? Um, so Lou was asking, he's like, well, what if I, what if I, you know, say I want to, I want to be a Christian, I want to be a Christian just like you. 
Uh, and um, he's like, you're like, all right, you got to be baptized. And you're on your way to get baptized. You get hit by a car. Um, he's like, what then? Do you go to hell? Do you go to hell? And um, Ernesto said, well, you know, there's certain theories. I'm like, well, wait, hang on. That is kind of counter to the Bible. Like in, in what, First John, it talks about how, you know, so that you know you're saved. Like you don't need to have theories about if you have to be baptized to have forgiveness of sin and be saved, truly. And something happens interim before you get baptized then you don't, the Bible doesn't say you have theories that one of them may be right and let you know if you're saved. It says by having faith in Christ, you know that you're saved. So, I mean, all these things like, you know, brother, that scripture, like everyone else is saying, if they don't want to get that, I'd say, you know, you've, you've done your part. Um, the rest is up to them. <laughs> well, here's a, another thing that I say, which, you know, will probably uh, turn a light on in a lot of people's heads, you know, and that's, 238 says, you know, be baptized for the remissions of sins. And they look at that as to gain remission of sins. And uh, But the word for means because of remission of sins. It's a reaction uh, to us already having uh, been saved. And uh, it's like a wanted poster. It says wanted uh, for murder. And it doesn't mean that uh, it someone is hiring you to go be a murderer it's because you're a murderer the word for can mean <laughs> because of it's like uh, one of the verses in the gospels that says you know uh jesus's family joseph was warned to go uh to egypt and he says for uh the leader was wanting to kill the child and that means because the leader was wanting to kill uh jesus as a baby as a child so, you know, for can mean because of. Does that uh, answer anything for you, Gia? Yes, thank you. Are you just being nice? And we've really no. made it worse? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 because I was completely, like, clueless. So it does help. Well, we have a... We have a th oh, go ahead. No, it's okay. It doesn't have anything to do. With oh no, you can you can say it in a second. I just wanted to say uh, if people are able to look at their Bibles real quick, Victoria has a thinking question. Uh, the person, some person, I guess, mentioned in Jude one eleven in New King James it says Korah, but in King James it says Kor. Is this the same Korah in Numbers sixteen? If anyone wants to. Uh, Flip around their Bible real quick. I cannot at the moment. If there's a question. Uh, yeah, Gia, did you have something else? Well, maybe someone looks that stuff up. Yeah, I wanted to know, like, you see the baptism of fire. Is that judgment? Because I hear people like, <laughs> so so. there's a song, right? And I even like this song. And they're, they're like, basically, they're, they're asking for fire. And like, I don't sing that part because it's like, are you guys asking for judgment? I don't know what the baptism of fire is, so I guess I wanted to know. Uh, no, it's not judgment. I believe. Um, is this talking about like the whole, like the Holy Spirit around Acts, like the baptism of fire? But no, I do not believe it's baptism of judgment. Well, the, okay. so so here's the thing, Gia, is that there's a common misconception in charismatic circles that God baptizes with fire, and that just means. Um, that uh, the Holy Spirit came and there were things like tongues of fire over their heads. That's what they're referring to. But fire almost always 
is about judgment. Um, and the fire actually in Acts is a judgment against Israel. And so people don't understand that as well. So we're saying this part about being baptized in fire or with fire or however it says is specifically about judgment? Yes, it's, of a, Israel, it's, about, even though it's, it's about judgment of Israel. Yeah. Do you have an actual verse? I want to I want to read that. Yeah, it was the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. But like the symbolism is that, and so the speaking in tongues that they all well, were doing while the... Yeah. So if it's symbolic, then there's got to be another meaning also. Otherwise, what's it a symbol of? What? What? What are you talking about? I don't know. I, uh, huh? Okay, okay. Here's the here's the thing, is that um, in Isaiah, it says that they will speak in other tongues. This is a judgment. This is a judgment upon the, the nation of Israel, okay? And so at the day of Pentecost, they were baptized with fire, um, and they were speaking in tongues. And so this is a specific judgment against the house of Israel that is predicted by Isaiah the prophet. And every okay. time tongues is used, it is a judgment against Israel in Acts. Okay, so they were baptized in, quote, baptized in fire, which meant the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, but it was also a judgment against Israel. Correct. That is the sign of the judgment against Israel. Okay, so it's not wrong to say, um, is talking about baptizing the Holy Spirit, but it would be incomplete unless you said, yes, it's baptizing the Holy Spirit, but note that that's also a judgment against Israel. That right. would be and a complete explanation. Yes, and and also if you're using it in a dumb song because you're a charismatic who doesn't understand anything about the scripture, um, a la the people who write most of our songs are morons, um, they don't understand that and they're like calling down fire. What they don't understand is they're calling down judgment. And so the, the problem, the, and so G is exactly correct that the song is really dumb. The person who wrote it is really dumb, and we really shouldn't sing it because they have no idea what they're talking about. Well, Jia, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> what I love about Chris is, is he's so tender in his delivery. Yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm, uh, did anyone figure out Victoria's question, or I can look it up here in a second? I died in. Yeah, it is the sun so Okay. Oh, hey, Mister's back. Hey, Mister, you want to talk more about pre-sub? Oh crap. Hey. <laughs> Honestly, that that would be great, Nate. If you can answer a question on presuppositional apologetics, sure. Well, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, please. What What are your thoughts on it? Just if you can give me an overview of how you feel it fits in modern day apologetics when you're dealing with people like atheists and the polytheist and the pluralist, right? Um, do you feel like it's best to show them evidence and evidence-based apologetics where you're given evidence for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and you're essentially trying to reason with them, right? But I feel like presuppositional already has the assumption 
that, you know, Jesus is God. So if it's in the Bible, you know, it, it, it is true because that is the word of God. So what what is your take on that? Well, we actually had this discussion a week or so ago when you said I was gaslighting you. But um, so what's interesting is the first thing I'd say is I don't think you have to be a presuppositionalist to assume Jesus is God. I think every Trinitarian does that. Um, But I I guess not to – I think the best way to answer your question is in the form of a question. Do you think it's a good idea? for people to have good reasons for the things that they believe. Sure, yes. Then then you can just set aside presuppositionalism. And good reason, you know, in, in what sense are we using the word reason as well? So so uh, right, so so you mentioned so, so you mentioned evidence, right? So evidence, so for example, and evidence comes in different forms, for sure. Like, for example, when, when people tell me that they had, you know, some kind of kind of personal experience, and because of that, they, you know, the, the, like they felt, like I've, I've had people tell me that they felt the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a personal experience. And I never discount that, right? Because to an individual that has an experience, there is no greater quote unquote evidence for that person. They, you know, like you, you can talk to people, but they'll, and they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll pound on their chest and they'll say, I know what I felt. I, I, I know what I, I, I know I felt it inside me. Right. And so I, I never discount those, those types of, of feelings. Right. Unfortunately to everybody else, they're hearsay. It doesn't matter because Hebrews eleven six it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you take an, an issue on faith, I will accept that fully. Um, but so because evidence comes in, in different forms and you, you, a minute ago, you agreed that you think it's a good idea for people to have good reasons for the things that they believe. Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. Okay. So what would be, okay. At what point? Okay. So, okay. That's, that's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting thought. So at what point do you think it's a good reason to have, you know, evidence or, or reasons for the things you believe and then where does that stop for you so what you're asking is where does reason end and faith begins um are we asking? not necessarily so okay so for clarification when i asked you if you, if i if you thought it was a good reason for people to have you know good reasons or good evidence for the things that they believe you said yes what did you mean by that? So let's say you're having a theological discussion. Uh, I feel like you should have good reason and scriptural support to back up certain doctrines, for example, like say by grace through faith, through Christ one, right? So when we're having a theological discussion, right, we, we should have scriptural reasoning, hermeneutics to come to a conclusion that we can all agree upon. Okay, okay. Now, what if you're having a discussion with someone who doesn't hold to a theology? Yeah, so at that point, I would, and that's like the conundrum I'm having as well, I would bring up Psalm 14.1, 
that says the fool says in his heart there is no god and they are corrupt so at that point if i'm arguing with an atheist it's a heart issue right so even if i gave them all the evidence in the world it wouldn't convince them because I, I used to be an atheist as well right um and you could have given me all the evidence uh you could have shown me a video of jesus dying on the cross and re resurrecting you could have shown me all of it and i would not have cared right because it was a heart issue i didn't want to i didn't want to believe because if i did believe i would be held accountable right sure but you understand that that's that that's metaphor right right the fool says in his heart there is no god right because the heart is just an organ that pumps blood like you accept the metaphor in that yes no i take that literally you think our heart thinks our hearts are where our desires lie i would say so you don't think the heart is an organ that pumps blood you think that the heart has thoughts not thoughts as in a brain is able to process thoughts because that's what you said a second ago well i'm saying the heart is where our desires lie right so you think the heart thinks? Not in the way that you're saying. Okay. All right. Maybe we should try to move. I think we're just going to bang our heads against the wall, and, and Nate will be looking for a baseball bat in a moment. So we'll just move past that. Um, okay. So, all right. So you think, okay. So then to go back to the other question that I asked you, like when, do, so if you're, okay, let, let me see if I understand you. So if you're having a dis if you're having a theological discussion with a fellow believer, you'll point to scripture and try to rationalize things that way. Like if you're talking to someone who is, you know, a once saved always saved versus someone else who's you know a conditionalist or someone who is a trinitarian versus someone who's a unitarian, so on and so forth. You'll you'll go to scripture and you'll you'll kind of you'll back go back and forth with points that way. Right. And then you just, just like the atheist goes to Exodus twenty one for slavery, and it's really clear there. Yeah. Okay. Let's try to have some order. And by the way, I've got like five more minutes of pre-sup and then I will bang my head against the wall. Okay. Um, and, and then, uh, and then you said that if you're talking to someone who doesn't have a theology, then you will just look at, look at the verse from Psalms, foolish heart said there is no God. So then what is it that you're like, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? From, from that perspective, right? Because like, it, I mean, according to the Great Commission, you know, you're supposed to go out and try to, you know, you know, profess the gospel to people and hopefully lead them to the cross and all that other stuff. So if you if you just see it as a hard issue, and you said that all the evidence in the world won't convince them, which, which I personally well, take quote unquote look, offense. How is it any different than saying that the Bible endorses slavery, right? When it's a reification fallacy. So Semper, I, uh, by I the way, that's the name of a book by a by a by a you know by by an agnostic scholar, right? Semper, so it's I, okay I, if I, you I, use the metaphor, hey, right? Semper, but it's not okay if we use the metaphor. Hey, Semper. Yeah, yeah. Focus on actually real life examples. That's Doctor Joshua Bowen's book, right? How does a book endorse things? Hey, Nate, I don't know if you're listening or not, but I'm just wondering um, if, right. uh, you know, that... that right, that, that, I, that right. How, I how does it, how does a heart... Did, how the, does it, did the middle of my heart? sentence interrupt the beginning of yours? 
I, I'd, I'd love to just finish the conversation I was having with Mister, if, if it's not too much trouble. Uh, I was trying to, I, I, hang on, I was trying to unmute, sorry. Yeah, Semper Bro, don't run over people. We're having a nice, although tedious and, and whatever dialogue. Um, can't just steamroll people. And Michael, please end this so we can move on. Uh, so yeah, for sure, yeah, here, yeah. Thank Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just wondering. So, Mister, so if, if you, if you don't think that that there's any point to having the discussion with the with the atheist, then why bother? There is a point, and that's what I'm getting to with precept. You, you already have to start with the assumption that the Bible is true; it's inerrant; it's the Word of God. God does exist. Otherwise, they're going to be starting with their own presupposition that is a materialist, naturalistic worldview, right? Right. So, so you're saying the benefit is really to show them how, like, their pre. So everyone has presuppositions. So you, the really goal is to show them how, although yours may be a big ask with God, that's more logical than the one they start out with. So since everyone starts out with presuppositions, it's basically just to try to get them to realize their presupposition is less good to start with than yours. Exactly. Is that the Yep. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And, and to that, I mean, and like I've said before to, to many, if, if you're going to start with your conclusion in that fashion, then you're you're going to lock yourself up from the possible, like lock yourself off from the possibility of any real meaningful dialogue. I, I I do I do agree with you that everyone comes to the table with some presuppositions. Every like that's my firm belief that everybody does, right? But I think what and I think it's the most generous way for Nate to say it is that that big ask, right? That this that this God exists, right? Because if if you start. If you start from that perspective, then sure, everything in the Bible is absolute child's play. Man from a dust, a parting of a Red Sea, a flood. Every, yeah, it's all child's play. Personally, I think you're asking for too big an ask, uh, as, as Nate puts it. But as I said to you before when we were having this conversation, I, I don't want to make Nate reach for any other harmful implements. So we can move on for sure. But um, I, gave you a, I, I gave you a follow, and I would love to have this discussion with you somewhere else if, if, you're, up, if you're up for that sometime. Sure. I appreciate your time, Michael and Nate. Uh, well, Chris, from your fire exchange with the other Chris, um, welcome to the stage. This should be fun. What's uh, up, Chris? Yes. So, Chris, you little idiot. Where'd you get off calling me a Nazi and a god hater? Maybe we should go back to pre-sub. <laughs> well, Chris, are you speaking? So, Chris, why don't you come and say it to my face and see what happens to you? I will knock your head off. With the love of Christ? Come and call me a Nazi now, Chris. Your big mouth in the chat, isn't it? Calling me a god hater and I hate Jesus and calling me a Nazi. Okay. Well, Chris, do you have anything yeah, uh, other to say? Do, do you have anything else to say since I guess uh, other Chris is not able to speak right now? Otherwise, I'm sure he would. Yeah. He won't speak the fucking little coward. Okay. Well, I ask you anything else to say. Like, no cussing on stage. I don't know why this is so difficult. For the record, you know, I got called a Nazi a few times yesterday for people posting, love is love. And why is there so much Christian hate against love being love and, blah, and all that stuff? And I'm like, 
disagreeing is not hate. That's all I said. I didn't even put a period on it. It's like disagreeing with someone is not hate. And they're like, Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. I'm like, wonderful. Nice chat. So, uh, you know, take things with a grain of salt would be my humble advice. I agree. All right, Michael. I, I agree. Disagreement. <laughs> yeah, I agree that disagreeing with someone is not hate. I, 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 I fully agree with that. I think you can take, I, you can certainly take it too far. Um, but that's not, I mean, and you know, you and I, and for, I guess for anyone listening to this, you know, Nate and I are diametrically opposed on a bunch of stuff, but I don't think that he's got hate in his heart for anyone. Uh, I, I, I truly believe that. Um, you know, we, we, we disagree. He thinks I'm wrong. I think he's wrong. And we can still manage to carry on civil conversations and not do the stuff that the other Chris just did. Uh, you know, it's, 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 so, it's so funny. I just, I'll hold myself up in, in this way as, as a moral exemplar. Never have I dropped an F-bomb on your stage, Nate. Not once. Not once. I've come close. I've come close. <laughs> but I never have. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like the get rid of the log of your own eye type thing, like some biblical wisdom, whether they believe it or not. But for that example, right, I mean, whoever is the one, whoever is accusing someone of something, like that's automatically like red flag territory, right? Because if you're about to accuse someone of something, the chances that you're going to have some ill will towards them, I mean, unless you're accusing them of being like too kind, but if you're accusing them of something bad, like the deck is already stacked against you to be careful, because if you're going to accuse them of something being negative, there's a good chance that you've got a bias and maybe you're the one being negative too. Um, so someone that's like, you're so mean and full of hate. Uh, there's a good chance that that person accusing you may be so mean and full of hate. Um, and, and you can see that, right? Like the Westboro Baptist church, for example, like I don't even know if they're still around or picket or protest, but I mean, that would be a, a really good time to make that case that they, they may actually, hate people. And I always hesitate because hate's a really strong, like they have a visceral reaction, right? But that's like the best example. Like either that's hate or that's really close to the line. Like who knows how these people actually feel? Like, are they like, yeah, well we say, you know, God hates this and blah, blah, blah. And you know, if we saw this person in the street, we, we hate them with every ounce of our being or no, no, we say that to provoke, uh, you know, be provocative. So they actually find Jesus. Who knows? Trying to give the benefit of the doubt. Let's just say they're, they're the closest thing Christianity has to hate. Um, Great. That's a good time to go make that case. But for someone that's like, well, no, the Bible calls us sin and, you know, sin is wrong in the eyes of God. But if you want to do that, that's your choice. And we will continue saying that is wrong in our religion. That doesn't mean hate um, unless they're like, and I hate you, disgusting worm. May you burn a thousand deaths in hell. Um, then, you know, you may you may be like, OK, make that case. Yeah, there are. And I think I would agree that, yeah, Westboro Baptists, yeah, they are hateful people. Um I I can't see any argument against. <laughs> I can't see any argument against. They are hateful people, um, and you know that's like they are. They if there is if there is a time to coin the phrase "there's no hate like Christian love," it would be against them. And you know um, what? I, well, I, I I mess this up every time, but th there's I think there's a good counter. It's like, you know, how like the, the tolerant left talks about inclusivity and how tolerant they are. Much like there, there's no there's no hate like Christian love. I get that. Um, but I mean, it's also true on the other side. Uh, like there's what there's no intolerance like the like the tolerant left. I haven't really fleshed out a clever way to say it. 
But I mean, it's true. It's like, you know, the people that are like all inclusive and they've got like every single letter and number in the, in the English language um, in, in their descriptors. It's like they are incredibly intolerant of very specific groups. So it's like, you know, the ones that preach like love is love and tolerance. They are incredibly intolerant of, of certain minority groups in their um, in their thing. Yeah. Like, Anyways, maybe you can help me figure out a clever way to word that. Well, so what, what I've what I've said and, and this go this is across the board and people will say what they what they think about this. I, I care not what people think. Um, nobody does extreme like extremists. And, and they come on both sides. Like I have seen, ju- like I have seen and encountered both in person and online, I'm sure as you have lots of, you know, what we'll just call, I'll take off my hat of charity. Um, what, what we call like, you know, foaming at the mouth, uh, fundamentalists. I have also encountered my fair share of foaming at the mouth, um, liberals. Let's just call them liberals. Um, I, I've seen both, and I think they're both wrong. Like, it, like the, there's there's a way to treat people, and there's a way to not treat people, and there's a way to forward discussion, and there's a way to stifle discussion, and and it being extreme on either side is a really good way to stifle discussion, because when your walls are so far up, you're not going to be open. In my experience to hearing much of anything that's even slightly off what you think is already the right thing anyway. You got to lower your defenses a little bit um, and try to understand that even though you're talking with someone who vehemently disagrees with you, you're still talking to another human being and try to be decent about it and see what can happen from there. I agree. And if Rab Scuttle starts foaming at the mouth, um, maybe it's because he has rabies. Uh -uh. (laughs) Welcome, Rabbi. Oh, you uh, went Vango, back to your actually... other picture. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, Vengo. You, well, Vengo was actually first in chat. I just wanted to oh, say for, everyone yeah. that you you had rabies. But uh, what's up, Vengo? How are you doing? Hey, what's going on uh, with you guys? I'm over here getting the oil change. Oh, okay. We'll make sure they put everything back in, right? I know, right? Hopefully, I, I leave with my engine. <laughs> well, Rab, how are you doing? Very no good. Foaming at so, the mouth, right? No foaming at the mouth. And I have an unrelated question. I don't believe I've ever asked this question, nor do I believe anyone has asked this question on the stage yet. And my question is, like, does the Bible or the Christian um, theology in general have any position on describing what sleep is and what dreams are? Because this is a conscious experience experienced by everybody, even dogs and animals and other things like that we see have dreams. So what would be the biblical answer to what dreams are? Not, and I mean like all dreams. I understand that some of them are messages from God, but what are like the rest? Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that would explain what the composition of dreams. It just talks about dreams and visions and things like that. Uh, Chris, off the top of your head, I don't think the Bible goes into detail of what they actually are. Like, um, yeah, like Peter ate a bad potato and now he has a dream or yeah, I, I, I can't, I do not believe at a cursory, you know, thinking of this, the Bible tries to explain what dreams are. It just talks about dreams and visions and says people will have them and people have had them, etc. The reason I ask is 
this seems like a fundamental thing to humans is to have this conscious experience during sleep. And even weirder is why is sleep something that every animal does? And so I am interested in why there's like we have this. This is where evil comes from. This is where languages come from. This is why where rainbows come from. So we have this like a bunch of explanations of physical phenomenon in the Old Testament of Genesis. But we don't seem to have like anything attempting to answer some of these other fundamental activities of human existence. And I'm just intrigued if there was like, why would that, why do you think that would just be glossed over? Because I'm sure people in the ancient times were curious about that, like just like we are now. Well, I, I, you know, I think they would be less curious now because with the advancement of technology, you know, we can trace it down to like, you know, brain chemistry or, you know, whatever, or, um, yeah, so I think we would be more um, more curious now because there's like more different directions to go. We're back then going out on my presumption that, you know, they would have thought, I mean, I mean who knows? Because, you know, the fool says in their heart there is no God. So there are probably a fair bit of people that didn't believe in a God. Um, so who knows what they thought? Uh, maybe they were the, the uh, Bronze Era rap scuttle. But, um, but um, for, for most people who did believe in gods and deities, they probably would have thought, yeah, this is a messenger or this is an omen from, you know, something beyond or some spirit or some God. So I think they would have questioned it much less. And the, the, um, it would have been more settled on, yeah, this is from like an angel or a, a devil or some spirit world or an ancestor, oh. uh, something, something like that. Well, let's, let, let me say it this way. Did Adam and Eve sleep before the fall? I don't think the Bible, I think the Bible is silent on that. I mean, Again, yeah, I mean, we can assume, but that's a good question. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Right, so is sleeping an imperfection, in other words? Like, is that, is sleeping considered a weakness? Is sleeping considered a benefit? Well, the premise would have to be true that they didn't sleep, and we don't know, so we can't rightly continue this. Right, do angels sleep? I don't believe there's any reason to think they, they do, but I think the Bible is silent. So, I mean, it would, you could argue both, like both sides could make sense. Like they don't because they don't need to, because they're perfect. And, you know, God is their light source and, you know, they, they have everything they need. They don't need to recharge. They're constantly like, you know, if it was a battery, they're constantly topped off at 100 because they're in the presence of God. Um, or on the other hand, is it kind of like, you know, the Sabbath, like you don't need to not work on Sunday or the Sabbath or whatever. Um, but it's a day of rest. Like, you know, you can work on sun, on the Sabbath and be just fine physically, uh, biologically. But, you know, we're told to rest, just like God. Did he need to rest? Was he so exhausted? It's like, well, no, he just set it up. And he said, you know, it was made for man. So man could work seven days a week and, you know, get by. But we can rest. So it's like, well, do you need to sleep as a necessity, as an imperfection? Or is it just like, you know, something nice to do, like in downtime? Well, so I'm guessing in human form, Jesus slept. So that seems the reasonable. Question I would, yeah, so the question I would then continue on. In God form, does God sleep? I am going to say no. That's, I mean, that's my opinion. That's a good question, though. Anyone else have thoughts on that? That is a thought-provoking question, Rob. Yeah, that's a, a good I, I question. Would, you know, answer. the Bible says that uh, God holds the uh, universe together, so I think that means he's always doing it. You know, he's not doing it while he's sleepwalking or anything. <laughs> hey Nate, I would I would answer Yo. and I would answer in this way. If it's anything that's not going against God's nature directly, 
I think God can easily do because God's not limited. So if God wanted to take a 30 minute power nap, I mean, God could take a power nap. But if you're going to say like, I know atheists would come in here and be like, well, what if God wanted to commit sodomy? It's like, well, no, that goes against God's nature and he wouldn't do that. But I think that he could do that. I mean, if he wanted to create a rock that he could lift, I, I, I guess he could if he wanted to, but I don't think he would. Well, yeah, and like the closest we have to go back to is, you know, God rested, uh, you know, God rested after he created everything. Yeah, so it's I, like, well, did he rest because because he had to or because it's no. like, well, I can do it and I want to do it. So I will do it. And I mean, later you learn that, you know, he, he created man for the Sabbath or the Sabbath I mean, for man, if, not if, man for the Sabbath. Maybe maybe God wanted to feel tired and he made himself feel tired. I mean, that, that wouldn't go <laughs> against his nature. I mean, maybe God's like, you know what? I just want to feel tired, take a power nap and feel refreshed like. You know, it does go against his nature. I mean, he could. Well, so wait, wait. Going off of what Brother said, though, just a minute ago, if God was resting, was he still holding the universe together? Like, what was he doing to rest? He could, yeah. He could still rest and also, just like he could create a rock that he couldn't lift, but he could also still lift. I mean, so, I mean, for that momentary moment, yeah, I guess he could have a rock that he could not lift. There's a very that, that, um, that would be by his power, though. I mean, well, but but what was he doing when he was resting? Like, let me let me ask you this way: Day seven, he's resting. Day eight, what does he start doing again? I don't know. I mean, I, when I sleep, I I dream and stuff. So I mean, I I'm still conscious. So I guess God would still, in an essence, be conscious and still be able to run the world while he's taking a power nap. You know, if he decided to. Sure, but I'm just wondering now, like, going back to, and God rested on the seventh day, so what did he do on the eighth day? So on seventh day, he's resting. What does he start doing again on the eighth day? Well, I want to say went like back to... Well, well, symbolic. Well, yeah, I want to say... Well, I want to say went back to being God, but it's not like he stopped being God. But I mean, it sounds like, you know... Are you, you ever watched The Big Bang Theory? Like, this sounds yes. like one of those things where, like, you know, where, like, Sheldon will be like, um, like Sean be talking to Penny. I just saw this episode. We still watch it all, all the time. That's like our background TV when nothing else is on. Anyway, so like Sean's talking to Penny and she's like thinking about quitting the Cheesecake Factory. And he's like, uh, well, who will my waitress be? And she's like, I don't know, just someone. And he's like, well, uh, how do I know this person? She's like, Nancy, fine. Her name's Nancy. Just to like get him off his, her back. And he's like, okay, well, what's Nancy going to do? Like, I can't believe that. Nancy like didn't even bring me this. So he like starts like something that's like a f super flawed like beginning point. And then continues to build off of that. So it's like, well, if God rested, then what does God do after that? Like, does God sustain the world while he rests or while he sleeps? It's like, well, we take one premise that could very well probably is flawed. And then we build a whole thing. And it's like, now we're projecting like, well, if God does this, then how does God do this? And then how does God do this? So the end result is like a comedic sitcom where we're like projecting like, you know, what God does and how God sleeps and how God naps or if he could. Um, when he's just like, yeah, bro, you're 100% wrong about everything. <laughs> So what That's is resting? But what does resting mean? Right, that right there. What does resting yeah. mean? No, what? No one is going to know in terms of like when it says God rested. Like, I mean, we can assume God didn't stop being God. Uh, we can assume. I mean, can we assume that? So, like, in the terms of what you're asking, no one knows. So, there's like a minute chance we may be right, and a incredible chance that we're going to be wrong because the Bible is, does not go into well, God rested. What does that actually mean? Did God kick up his foot? He says the earth of his. He says the earth is his footstool. I mean, did he kick his feet up on planet Earth, or is that just you know creative language? But Abba's here. He came up. Maybe yeah, Abba has something to say Abba about. To, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Go ahead. So, what does it mean when God rested? Did he sleep? 
Okay, well, we need to we need to look at two relevant passages. Okay, one is Genesis two, and the other is Exodus twenty. Okay, so let's look at Genesis two first. Genesis two does not use the word rest; it uses the word cease. On the seventh day, God finished the work He had been doing, and He ceased on the seventh day from all the work that He had done. In other words, that's not rest; it just means creation was finished. And he stopped creating. There was no more creating to be done. So that doesn't necessarily indicate rest. That just indicates God was done. Okay? So that's in Genesis. Now if we look at... No, not a break. Stop. Uh, it was a joke, Abba. I'm sorry. It was okay. A <laughs> sorry. I know. I was, just, I was saying a break because that would mean rest. <laughs> Please continue. Yes, except there, is, except there is a word in Hebrew for rest, and that is not the word that is used in Genesis. Okay? So that's relevant. So if we look at Genesis, uh, Exodus 20, beginning at verse 10, this is the Ten Commandments, right? Um, six days you shall labor and do all your work. That's like God. Worked six days and then stopped. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Sabbath means... The word Sabbath means a day for no work, right? And it's related to the word that's used in Genesis to mean that when God says um, ceased working, that when the text says ceased working, it's the same root over here as Sabbath, okay? You shall do no work, your son or your daughter, your male or female slaves, etc. Now here's the relevant part. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. There the word is rest. Now, how do we square that with the stopping of work? Well, this seems to be adding another element to the idea of not working, which is to say, rest. And here, it is the reason for us to have a Sabbath. The reason for us to have a Sabbath is two reasons. Because, according to here, because God stopped working, when we observe Sabbath, we should stop working or doing this labor, which needs definition. And the other reason is, and this is just the kind of reason given in, in Exodus, because God stopped working and rested on the seventh day. That's why God blessed the seventh day. Now, what does it mean to say God rested? All you have to say is stopped working. That's it. It doesn't mean sleep. It doesn't mean... Right. It yeah, doesn't we actually mean like. Well, well, hang on one second. I wanted to. Well, hang on. I wanted to. I wanted to say, uh, Abba. Yeah. Thanks for posting that verse. Uh, Many hands make like make like work. Um, Psalm, not that verse. Um, but Psalms one twenty one four. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So, um, there you go. And thanks, Abba. Right, so yeah, what that? So what that means? Oh. So what that means okay. in terms of sustaining the universe? Right. The work of making the universe is already done. On day eight, Rab, is he still here? On day eight, God simply, continue, God simply continues to sustain the universe, right? Whatever God does, in other words, God continues to exist. God's existence is the, I'm just playing out here, right? God's existence is why the universe continues to exist. So to the extent that God keeps existing, God is sustaining the universe. Right, right. but day, we have other day eight and day seven, so let me just clarify though, is day seven and day eight, he's doing the same activity? On day seven and day eight, he's doing the same activity. I wouldn't say it's an activity. I would say 
I wouldn't call it an activity in this right, because the, it's the just, same set it's of just what God does. Right. right. Just, it, it, yeah, I would say it's a state of being, not a state of doing. Fair enough. But is there any change? Is there any delta between day six and day seven? Or sorry, day seven and day eight? Is there a delta? Is there any difference between day seven and day eight? I mean, I, I think you, you might be able to say that God picks up creating things on day eight or could have, except that on day six, he had already finished. Right. So, so, so day eight going, so day seven forward, he's resting. So one of the things if we could look at other places, which I hate to do when we're just analyzing one story, but here's another place we could look to for information. Um, so I believe it's Psalms says, um, that one of the things that God does is hold the boundary between the water and the land. What does that mean? In other words, the shore is the thing that is keeping the water at bay because water wants to primordially take over the earth. That's why it's put behind the firmament. So what God is doing is sustaining the creation, right? Making sure it stays the way that it was designed and made. Right. So that means water acts like water, land acts like land. Right. Um, so it's true, but but he was doing that. Is there, yeah. He would have been doing that on day seven as well. Doing, right. Wasn't he doing that on day seven as well? Yes. Right. That's why these kinds of, that's why these, the, um, the basic uh, contextual understanding of these stories don't tolerate questions like this because these stories didn't ever consider those questions. This story doesn't care what God does on day eight. If that, you know, well, it's just, a, right. it's, a, it's a kind of a, it's just a, it's just a game at this point, right? To say like, oh, if that's the case, then what, then what? But you can't really answer it from the text of the story. I don't think you're going to have well, to, you're going to have to bring in doctrine and theology and other things. So yeah, so sure. So what is God's job normally? So like, what is God doing day eight onward? Period. Sustaining, sustaining the universe. Yeah. God is God so, is existing, and through God's existence, the universe is maintained and sustained. So every day is the Sabbath day to God going forward. He's resting no. and sustaining. No, the there's one. Okay, so there's the original Sabbath, which was just for God, and then there's every other Sabbath, which is for us. No, no, I mean like every God's day is Sunday working. for God. Oh, like every yeah, day is Saturday for God. Like yeah, in your roundabout, in your roundabout way of thinking, then then sure. But your roundabout thinking is is roundabout. So an easier way to say that is God's Sabbath was after, oh, just like Yuri said, uh, or Abba said, just after he was done creating stuff, that was the Sabbath. So now on day eight, it's not still the Sabbath because he's not still creating stuff. So it's it's different. Like it, because he's well, done creating, that was the Sabbath. So if you're saying, well, it's been the Sabbath ever since because he's not creating, that's just a really convoluted way of saying what. Abba said a lot more simple. Nice. The operative word here, one of the operative words here is not only cease or rest, but it's the, the word for work, right? It's a particular kind of work that's taking place. It's, it's the work of creating, which is different than the work of sustaining, right? So you're right, Rab, in some sense, day seven and day eight are the same, but day eight is not whatever's taking place on those days is not what took place on days one through six. What takes place on day one through six never happens again. That's a one-time right. event. Th totally get right. that. 
Yeah, not not arguing that. I'm I've honestly tried to figure out like what is God's quote unquote job that He's doing that He because keeping it's, it's, you it's, alive has, to ask questions. <laughs> right, but he's not. But I'm saying, like on the day of rest, he was even doing that. So even when he wasn't doing his, like when he was resting on day seven, he was doing that job. He was doing that. So what does he pick up doing again on day eight forward? That's different than what he did on day seven. He's doing the same thing on day seven, but that that he did on day seven. But all that means is like holding up the world. That's it. Once you stop doing labor. Right. And that word is very particular kind of labor. Once you stop doing that, all you have is maintenance. Right. So what happens on Saturday, right? On the first Sabbath, everything is created, done. Right. So it's the it's like you you finish building your computer and you turn it on for the first time. Right. It's working. On day eight, you get a bug. Something happens. Right. Or whatever. And now you need to just maintain the computer. But you're not going to rebuild the computer. Right, unless the computer becomes exceptionally wicked, and then you have to destroy it in favor of a new computer. Right? But yeah, nice. right? uh, no, I was serious about that. In other words, the Noah story is a second. I know, story I know. Right? It's, it's a it's, third creation story. Right. It's a good way to right. work that in. Right. Okay. So, so we have to we have to consider the difference between maintenance or sustaining, and creative work of building. Once creative work and building it up, right? So the operative thing that you're supposed to do on Sabbath, right? And this is how it translates into our Sabbath. The thing we're not supposed to do on Sabbath is this type of creative work. In other words, the way that the world is when Sabbath begins on a Friday evening is the way that the world should be when Sabbath ends on Saturday night. There is no changing of the, in the world. Language. Right? By, by, oh, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. I no, thought go, you had no, no, I was just saying language and is so complex and so nuanced, so complex and hard when it comes to like describing the nature of God that, you know, when you said that God has work or he's doing his work, you know, in my mind, in my limited mind, I, I feel conflicted when you say that. But then I'm like, you know what? I, I understand what he means. It's like because work denotes like, you know, a chore or something that he has to do. But then I'm like, yeah, I, I understand what he means. Except so, that's yeah, not. Except except I'm not equivocating here. I'm taking no, the no, Hebrew. No, no. I understand what you mean. No, 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 no. I mean, and, and, and what I'm saying is, is that word in Hebrew, melacha, which means work here, labor, is not the same. There are other words in the Bible that mean other kinds of work, and we know what those are. Yeah, right? what, so what I'm getting at is like how limited our vocabulary and our understanding of God. It it's just, it was like making my mind like really work hard because like uh -huh. the first thing that popped in my head was like to think like, what did he just say works? And I'm like, I, but I know what he means. You know, like he has something to do, you know, like, yeah, I was creative, just saying it's so complex. Creative labor. But I think the best yeah. way to say it in English is creative labor. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> wish they would have used that word because in modern vernacular, work denotes something that has to be done. It's like God doesn't have to do anything, but I understand what you're saying. That's yeah. why I always get, that's why I always laugh about these like kind of conversations. And then other people get mad about you use the word the wrong context or the wrong word. Right. Nate. Right. Yes. I heard Nate. Uh, one thing that's important to the conversation, you know, getting back to the original question would be like John five seventeen. you know, Jesus said his father is working to this day and that's why he's working, you know, so, you know, God is working, you know, even though, he rested. He's, as people have been saying, he's rested from creating. 
but that doesn't mean that he's inactive. Yeah, that, that's what I was talking about, like the limited vocabulary that we have to define God. You know, it's like, yes, he rested, but he's not like he had to rest or he took a power nap. It's like, and, and he didn't cease working, you know. <laughs> hey, brother, can I make you a mud real fast? Can you help me out? It's not letting me invite some people that uh, want to speak. Yeah. Um, can you invite, what, what? Uh, you invite Chris S. back up? That can, guy's delightful. Oh, God, please no. Oh, please hang, no. hang on, hang on. No. I'll t I got a story about that in a minute. So um, can you invite Edrin? And uh, yeah, the other guy. Edrin's already yeah, up. Yeah, okay, good. Edrin's already up. Oh, oh okay. I just well, want to show me. Yeah, so so Chris has just one thing. Can I just respond? Hey, Nate, can I just respond real quick to Spy, what he just said? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's rich. Sorry. It's rich, Abba. Hi. Oh, all right. <laughs> go ahead okay. yeah i just I um, being honest. one of the things that i have um that i think is important for me in these conversations is to make sure that even though we're going to be using english which is going to be always a little bit deficient to the original hebrew or the greek it's important that i think we try to capture in english what the hebrew and the greek means because if we just say work we are aligning the difference between the different kinds of work that are said in the Hebrew Bible. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, I understand what you're saying, but I'm saying even the even the ancient Hebrew is limited in like defining God. You know, like that. That's what I was laughing about because like other people will get so tied up with like the words that you use, and it's like, yeah, we both mean the same thing. You know? No, I, no. Okay. I'm saying the I'm saying the opposite. We don't. Okay. In other words. In other words, what I'm saying is, is that the Hebrew words for work don't mean the same thing. And therefore, in English, when we say work, meaning meaning like chores, or when we say work, meaning creative labor, those aren't the same thing. Now, I could use the same word work, but I but actually, I don't mean the same thing. That's the point. Okay, no, no, so, I, get, I get what you're saying. No, 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 no. Okay, stop. Shut it down. We've, we've gone around enough. Um, we're moving on. <laughs> um Chris, nice of you to finally speak. Um, I, I've been getting hate mail. Like now, I've, I, Chris S is the uh, like third or fourth person I've ever had to block on Clubhouse because he's just like going off on like you know tirades in my back channel. So I only say that to say if we are mysteriously not here anymore, it's because he's uh, crying to Clubhouse because <laughs> Chris calls him a Nazi and I don't do anything about it. So you know we've been shut down for equally stupid reasons before. Um, so if you don't find us, uh, go to my profile. You, you can find like our, our sensor proof group. So um, if, if we're ever not here and you want to know how to find us, um, yeah, check us out there. It's on Gab. They're not going to shut down anything or bit I mean, shoot. They don't shut down anything I'm, either. I'm not, trying to, to be, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but he literally is a part of an anti-Semitic cult and he has proposed wild amounts of violence against Christians and Jews alike, talking about burning people alive, like all these other things. Like to me, you know, the ingredients of a Nazi, you're in an anti-Semitic cult and you're promoting violence. Am I missing anything, Abba? I mean, it sounds pretty yeah, good I to mean, me. And, and, yeah, I mean, those well, are good. I Look, there is some, uh, I, I, I think Nazi is a, is an interesting word. I think we might be more precise, um, only because like that's sort of bandied about a little bit willy-nilly. I don't think you're doing that, Chris, but I think Nazi sort of has a very specific thing. 
which isn't all Jew haters um, and not all cult members, but I understand your meaning. Yeah, and anyways, not to not to harp on uh, someone that is no more, but just for the record. So yeah, let me make sure it's on the profile. Anyways, if, if you uh, want to find us, go to bitshoot.com slash askachristian. That's never going to get shut down. And you'll figure out where we go from there until we get to, until we get back up and running. It seems really ridiculous, but yeah, Clubhouse seems to sympathize with people who may not be necessarily on the religious side. So um, just in case. And um, yeah, I want to say like, it doesn't even matter, right? Like I, I like free speech and I support free speech, even speech I don't like. So, you know, I don't want, I, I don't allow like tons of cursing and stuff like that, which is why I removed him from the room and stage because he just can't control his mouth. And that's my line. But, you know, if someone wants to kindly and peacefully say all kinds of, of terrible, horrible stuff about people, then do that. And they can defend themselves likewise or not. Um, I'm not their keeper. So that's, that's my position. Just keep your, uh, you know, keep your cursing in check and everyone will be fine. So G you welcome to the stage G. I think you were next. Are you speaking? No, I, I had just wanted to, uh, help, help out Abba with a few verses, but, uh, we're, we're past that. Okay, Were you going to choose the same ones that I did? No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna read them out for you because I, I was looking them up as you are. Uh, oh, thanks. All right. Awesome. What's up, Ed? Hey. Uh, yeah. Question. I think I would be interested in Abba's uh, response. Other people could chime in. Okay. Ezekiel chapter uh, forty through forty-eight gives a lot of details about a temple. Uh, measurements, precise measurements, structure of this temple. Abba, is it? Do you understand it to be? Is that going to be a literal? Is that symbolic of something, or is that to be literally constructed sometime in the future? Um, That's a good question. I would have to. I would have to look more closely. But you said forty to forty-eight. Um, let's see. Yes. So okay. So this is a vision. He's describing, and gee, please help me, help me out. You probably know Ezekiel better than I do, right? This is a vision of the temple, which he's probably taking from some kind of memory of the actual temple. But I think he's talking about some kind of future temple that is going to mirror the, the, the current temple, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I think he thinks it's going to actually be rebuilt one day. Um, so he's mm -hmm. giving the measurements that he received from this vision. Sure. Yeah, because it is much, I, think, I understand it's significantly larger than the, uh, the first two temples. So it is larger. It's not like the same dimensions and so forth. But uh, because I was uh, talking to somebody a few days ago and they, it was a Christian and they were some, some other position that it's uh, to be understood spiritually. I don't agree with that. I think it's going to be literally, it's a literal structure. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Maybe other people can chime in too. Thank you, Abba. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I would love Ezekiel's to. Ezekiel's weird. I mean, so got to remember that. So from, from what I remember in that passage is that the animal sacrifices are made for atonement. So I don't believe it's a future temple based off of that precedence. Because if the animal sacrifices that were made in Ezekiel are for atonement, then it can't be in a future because Christ is that one-time sacrifice. If that makes sense, right? Except yeah, that, I'm, 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 that I'm, would be a I'm, Christian. That would be a Christian view, right? In the Jewish view, which is Ezekiel. Ezekiel is not anticipating a Christ. 
that's oh. right. He's not anticipating a Christ, and he's anticipating that in this new temple you would still have a need for for atonement sacrifice, and the whole system of sacrifice would 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 remain as instantiated in, in Leviticus and all of those. Other and places, not all right? and so, not all sacrifices for atonement. That's the other thing. It was a form of worship. Also true. Well, yeah, I, I'm familiar with the the, the argument, uh, Mister, that it's uh, because of the sacrifices it can't be future, but I. Uh, I think there will be sacrifices, and I don't. I think they'll be done in obedience to God. It's not. Um, they're I think done in commemoration for what Christ did. And Jesus Himself actually refers to you know the uh, Matthew twenty four, uh, the abomination of desolation, um, and occurring in the temple. We read in you know Paul talks about the uh, the man of sin. He will sit in the temple, proclaim himself to be God. He does seem to, and, and Daniel speaks about putting an end to the daily sacrifice in the middle of the seventh week of Daniel. Uh, but I understand the objection that in the church age, there's no to be no sacrifices, but I do believe in the tribulation period, the temple will be rebuilt and there will be sacrifices done. And I think it will be in obedience uh, to God. I think they're done in commemoration uh, for, uh, for what God did in the Gog Magog invasion. But I understand it's a very controversial issue. I understand that. I, yeah, I and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure we should expect Daniel and Ezekiel to agree, right? But they do. But I, I, I think I, they they do agree. I think, yeah, because Daniel speaks about the Antichrist. Uh, you know, the little horn. He will go um, put an end to the to the daily sacrifice at the middle of, midst of the week, which I understand is the middle of the seven year period of Jacob's trouble. And so Ezekiel uh, speaks about the sacrifice that are to be done. So did, I think there's, there's no uh, contradiction between them from my, my study of them. But Ezekiel's not getting rid of the sacrifices, right? But you're saying that's correct. Yes, yes. But, but well, yeah, the, the sacrifices will be reinstituted during the, uh, I believe, during the, the tribulation period. Uh, that's the time of Jacob's trouble. But the, the man of sin, see, the, the man of sin, he's, I believe, the Antichrist. He will put an end at, at the midpoint of the tribulation. He will go into the temple and and put an end to the um, the sacrifices and proclaim himself to be God, and he'll be embraced. He, you know, this is in Daniel. This is in Daniel. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. Daniel Daniel speaks about the Daniel speaks about. Well, yeah. They they Paul refers to the man of sin. Uh, no, 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 no. Not now. Hold yeah. on. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I, I, I'm I'm touching on what, but I'm sorry because Chris chimed in. He mentioned uh, Thessalonians, so I'm just I, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I was just briefly mentioning what Chris was saying about Thessalonians. But yes, Daniel, uh -huh. it talks about the midst of the week in context of dealing with the 70 weeks of Daniel. The midst of the week, I believe it says he will put an end to the, um, the daily sacrifice. And, and some people understand this to mean that the anti, this is tying in with the Antichrist, the man of sin, the little horn, uh, going into the temple in the midst of the week that is the middle of the seven years and uh, proclaim himself to be God and putting an end to the daily sacrifice. This is, you know, you know, this is highly debatable. I understand that. But, so that's uh, my I answer. mean, I, I, look, I, that can't be taken literally. Like, there's no possible way that Daniel is writing that in a literal sense. Um, and the reason I say that is because I don't understand what it means to camp. Like, what is the significance of the middle week of the seven? Like, I, I just, there's a lot there that I have questions about symbolically and why Daniel would use that particular language. If so, add so, Jesus, it makes sense, Abba. Of course, if you add Jesus, everything makes sense, right? But if you want to understand it respectfully as the Hebrews wrote it, which didn't include Jesus, then 
you'd have to do you'd have to employ some different things to make it make sense. Or it did. Um well no no actually no. I don't I don't think that's a good historical <clears throat> argument, right? You can say that it did only after you understand it. But don't you want to understand the book as Daniel understood it? I would. Well, I mean, there's something to be said. I mean, you know, perhaps Daniel, like, you know, if he, uh, I don't know, let's just say Daniel's looking back on his work after Christ shows up and, you know, the, the first century Christians who were Jews and had sorry, you know, the same sorry, understanding. Sorry, Daniel. sorry, Nate. Daniel yes. looks back at his work. How does Daniel look back at his work after Christ shows up? I'll start again. I, you didn't hear me. I said, if Daniel were able to look back at his work and understood it like, you know, the way the first century Jews who followed Christ and, you know, believed him to be the Messiah. Um, if Daniel, you know, they had the same understanding as Daniel before they ever knew Jesus. And then when they knew Jesus and they're like, oh, and then they start like, you know, saying, oh, this was a prophecy. And let's look at Daniel. Let's look at Isaiah. So if Daniel then was somehow able from from heaven or, you know, wherever he is to look back from the first century perspective, I wonder if Daniel would be like, no, those guys are totally wrong. Or, oh, you know what? I didn't even realize that at the time. But that was what God was doing. He was using me to write this this whole time. And now I understand it yeah. just how these people did after Jesus. And there's no way to know how Daniel would understand it or not. But it's interesting. Go ahead and say a last thing. And then I want to get some other people. To yeah, I'll say the last thing. I, this is there. This is there is a two step move. Right. That often that we should say the two steps in getting it, that Christians use to get the Hebrew Bible to say Jesus. Right. The first step is point out messianic prophecies. Right. So first step, establish that the Hebrew Bible has a Messiah and describe it. Then you have to assign those things to Jesus. So I think it's that second step that would be that is the most important one. And I think was the debate between different Jewish groups in the first century. Does Jesus fit the descriptions of the Messiah in the Hebrew Bible? Some people thought yes and some people thought no. And so, therefore, we can only have a kind of question in our mind about what Daniel would say, what Isaiah would say, right? Because all we have is the way people understood them to mean, right? Because we do not have access to Daniel's, right? We can, we can try. We can make convincing arguments, right? We can say, right? We can give reasonable readings, right? But we have to have a little bit of humility and say, we are doing looking back, Right? We are doing this two-step process, and so so and that two-step process gets elided very often. It's a very good word. Um, gets elided a lot when you simply say the Old Testament confirms affirms Jesus. No, the first-century Jews affirmed that Jesus fits the description in the Old Testament. Now, those are two very different. Those are two different things. There's a little nuance between them, but those are different. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, and, you know, like as as someone who sincerely believes that Jesus of the Bible is the chosen one, is God in flesh, which may be another step further. But, you know, as someone who believes this, um, I, I would just forego that entire discussion because, yeah, it's a what if maybe some did, maybe some didn't. I mean, well, some did, some didn't. But it's like, you know, what these historical figures and prophets before Jesus was incarnate, where would they fall? And, and I would just kind of like forego that whole thing and be like, well. I would say, just call in the name of Jesus, pray to Jesus, just like he says, and, uh, you know, repent, dare to believe he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and there is this whole world, uh, you know, kind of like how, how the Christians believe. Um, I would say do that and pray directly to the guy. 
and you know, let us know what happens. And I realize for some that may not be a big ask at all because they're like, I don't even believe it in God. I may as well take a shot. And others who have their deeply, sincerely held beliefs already are like, no, no, that's a huge ask. That's basically blasphemy. So, you know, depending who you're talking to, that is a, a big or little um, ask. But still, I would, I would just kind of forego that entire who would fall on which side of the conversation and be like, well, do that. Which I think going back to our, our, our earlier conversation before you were here, Ruri, or Abba, um, it, it was kind of like, um, I lost my train of thought now. I, I always call you by the wrong name. Sorry about that. If, if um, You're okay. I know I know you're not doing it to dox me. You're but in, in, but in doing, I lost my train of thought, but it's okay. <laughs> but, um, uh, Constantine, what's up? Yeah, hi, everybody. I'm just listening to your discussion, but uh, I agree with uh, Abba in this case that uh, Daniel should be interpreted as Daniel. I mean, you have to understand that uh, Daniel is the last book of the Old Testament, and it was written in the kind no, of more isn't. of a... No, which one is later? Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. The Christian Bibles organize the books of the Hebrew Bible differently, so in all... Well, I mean chronologically. I don't mean... Book. I mean chronologically. Uh, fine. Right. So that's the Christian organizational principle. But in the Jewish Bible, Chronicles is last. And actually, I'm pretty right. And then and is it not true that the last book of the Hebrew of the Christian Bible is Malachi? Not Daniel? Right. No, no, I'm yeah, not talking no. about the order of books in the in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. I'm talking about the chronological order of when they when they were composed. He's making the claim that Daniel was written sometime after He's doing the late date Daniel thing because it. he has it. to he okay. has to make the prophecies work because if if he's giving if he's taking the traditional dating for Daniel then basically he has to assume supernaturalism because of all of the prophecies. No, no, that, that wasn't my point, so, point, Chris. I, I appreciate you pointing that out, but uh, I, I'm just pointing out uh, Daniel as a last book to kind of uh, uh, explain that in the, during the intertestamental period, right after the you know the Hebrew right. Bible was finished, and Daniel kind so of falls a, into that uh, into that uh, pattern. You know, right. we have that's a, we that's have a, a minority a strong... position. So, so like. We would say that Nehemiah, Ezra, all of the post-exilic writers would be after Daniel, um, and so you know. But there, there is a there is a minority position that Daniel was written during the intertestinal period, um, but not everyone takes that dating. So okay, okay. Well, my point is that there was a uh, strong apocalyptic movement. So uh, you know, in in that intertestamental period. Uh, that, uh, you know, that movement took off and, you, you know, there were a lot of, uh, you know, apocalyptic preachers uh, in, in Israel and Jesus uh, was most likely one of them, you know, that went around and said, you know, the, the, the prophecies are going to be fulfilled, the kingdom will be restored, you know, uh, and that kind of thing. So they, they were, you know, kind of uh, predicting the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And so Jesus was one of them. And uh, uh, so my point is that it's not very surprising that... Uh, uh, these apocalyptic preachers, including Jesus, they were seeking, and their followers were seeking the fulfillment of prophecies. So it's, it's, it's kind of so they're looking at the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible, and they are uh, kind of uh, weaving their narrative about their particular you know ministry or preacher um, to sort of coincide with that. So uh, so when you read the New Testament, I mean you're kind of reading it as well. These events happened, and they magically coincide with the prophecies from the Hebrew Bible. But I, I don't think that's a fair reading. I think uh, you know the, the the writers of the New Testament were well aware of the prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, and so they were weaving their narrative specifically to uh, try to make it fit. You know, especially given well, the 
Yeah, given the fact that, uh, you know, uh, the, the vast majority of uh, Jews were not converting to Christianity and kind of viewed Christians as, uh, you know, just a, a sect within Judaism, a very strange sect, so they, they weren't converting. And so the authors of the New Testament books had to kind of explain to them, you know, why is Jesus the Messiah? He doesn't really look like a Messiah. There's a lot of things that don't fit, but we're going we're gonna to take some, you know, prophecies from the... Uh, from the Hebrew Bible and make Jesus look like he uh, fulfills them in a kind yeah. of different way. Different so, way. well, I, I remember what I was going to say earlier real fast. Um, so it was to the point a long time ago with Michael and them, how they're talking about the precept argumentation. Uh, and I would say, instead of going precept, I would just, and trying to like convince people over and over, like the people who are going to hear the gospel, uh, do that, just share the gospel, like the great commission. When Jesus says, you know, go and share, you know, share the gospel, gospel and if people want to hear what you're saying then stay and disciple them tell them more but if they don't shake the dust from your feet and go away so you know at a certain point after i mean paul reasoned with people for like years but at a certain point if you're done reasoning with people and they're not going to buy what you're selling shake the dust from your feet and go tell everyone that's what i was going to say earlier um anyways so you would have a fair point constantine you would have a fair point if what you say is true but it's unfortunately not because every apocalyptic preacher would have been saying how they all fit these prophecies except there are some uh, prophecies in the old testament that you can't connive your way into so it's not the fact that he fits some it's the fact that he felt like I, I forget the number i'm sure chris will tell you in a minute but he he fit like a ton of prophecies and there's some things that you you can't force so if jesus was like not born what? where well, hang on like like the birth of jesus if he was born like somewhere in i don't know somewhere in in asia or in the outlying skirts of uh you know judah okay or what, what evidence or do we like, have for the for the facts surrounding the birth uh, I, hang on I, I let you hang on i let you run on for like three minutes so listen so I'm talking about certain certain prophecies like the birth and the locale, right? So you can't force that. That means like Mary and Joseph would have had to like had a plan, known this prophecy, specifically traveled, uh, you no, know, to where Jesus no, was born. No, no, oh, no, no, no. Okay, I don't want to move into the audience, so just hush. We can talk about this. You have to know what my claim is before you can cry about it. My claim is for some of these prophecies, you cannot force. Mary and Joseph would have had to be in on it and had to orchestrate where Mary was going to give birth to Jesus. Otherwise, you couldn't say that's a prophecy about his birth in, like, Bethlehem or whatever. Okay, can I so respond? That's so, why, uh, so no, about you the... can Oh, goodness. You could just hold on. So that means, like, Herod, all these other people, like the death of the males, like, all this other stuff. Like, going up—it would be like an Illuminati-scale level in order to, to make these prophecies fit. That's what we're saying. Well, if you but, just could have hold on two seconds, I would have brought you back, and I still will, but go ahead, Chris. But Nate, what, he's not claiming that. What he's claiming is the New Testament authors were a bunch of liars that were making things up, and that Joseph and Mary never actually went to Bethlehem. But Joseph, like, like all of the stuff that you're mentioning that can't be forced, like they've thought through this. This is something called 19th century literary criticism. It's called German higher literary criticism. Okay, so this was the argument with liberal Christianity for the last hundred years that has been asked and answered ad nauseum for the last hundred years. And all of these things are just nonsense that we could have rooms on specific things that he wants to bring up, but he just wants to gish gallop and blow all of this stuff in there to make us think that the New Testament writers were just a bunch of liars that were making things up by reading the prophecies, figuring out what they should say, and then writing their books accordingly 150 years after the fact. 
right. So and this, what, well, yeah, so well, that's well, what they're well, doing. Well, can I respond well, right. and then my whole, well, hang on. And then my whole, hang on. And then my whole point was you, ba you basically just need to invoke the Illuminati because that's the level of what you're talking about. No. Otherwise, otherwise, if all these people are, as Chris say, you know, all liars, then you would have lots of Jesuses that survive the ages because lots of cult followers of different Jesuses and apocalyptic preachers would have been claiming this about their own rabbis, about their own preachers, about their own Christ. They would have been doing that, and then we would have lots of competing Jesuses. But the fact that we don't means no one was around to really dispute this, and no one back then was in a position to be able to do that except the one that no one could challenge because it actually happened. That's all I'm saying. Okay, go ahead and respond. Okay, okay. So, so you, uh, you know, I asked you for an example of a prophecy that was fulfilled, and you gave us the birth narrative. So we uh, take the earliest gospel, Mark. There is no birth, birth narrative. Jesus appears as an adult, you know, at the beginning of the gospel. It doesn't have one. Okay, uh, then we take Matthew and Luke, which are written about 10 years or 15 years after Mark, and we see two different birth narratives. There is a lot of contradictions in them. You know, they, it, it's extremely no hard to reconcile. Uh, there are two different stories. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. You, I wait. guess you do think we're that stupid. So we're just we're just a bunch of like, here, let me just cut to the chase for you. We're a bunch of retarded, drooling morons who don't know anything about anything. We're just a bunch of backwoods idiots. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Michael, you're free to say Christian nationalist if you want, Michael. Saying. Chris, remember oh, yeah, our sorry, deal. I didn't mean to use the R word. But your argument is that we're just so stupid and we're so dim that we can't see the glaring you know, contradictions in the birth narratives. I mean, dude, come on. Yeah, so so the birth narratives clearly were developed over time, and so Matthew and Luke present two different stories. They're completely clearly. different stories. They're, they have different genealogies. They have different uh, locations, different sequence of events. There's almost nothing that uh, that, that is the same in, in the birth narratives uh, of Matthew well, and yeah, Luke. Yeah, we're just really, and, really, really dumb, okay? You win. You win. Christians are well, so idiots, I mean, and we're really dumb, and so 2,000 years of Christian history is all a big joke. You win! Hooray! <laughs> it looks so like in a, Jason hasn't done his homework. So in a, in, a, in a more tame way, yeah, and we'll get right to you, Chief, but in a more tame way, I would say this, this kind of goes back to, you can lead a, you know, demonic horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So, you know, this is the gospel. If you don't believe it, then... Perhaps it's not for you because God's good pleasure. So, you know, that would suck. But if you're someone who can repent and believe the gospel, then do so. And you don't got to worry about that. But uh, Sheep, what's up, Sheep? Yes, sir. I'm driving, so let me know if you can hear me. Um, anyway, I, I think I think that's what, right? I, I think we're struggling with the prophecy, the idea of prophecy and all that stuff. Um, and the thing is, you know, if if we were to take Jesus out of these prophecies, right, then we're left with a bunch of question marks that basically are left unfulfilled in terms of even just the fact that the temple, the, the destruction of the temple, and now, you know, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of Gentiles knowing God, who, you know, the God of Yahweh is, um, and then, like, even, you know, all those things that that point to the Messiah— um, you know, as as now, <laughs> if if we leave Jesus out of this, is now left unfulfilled. Um, specifically, you know, Isaiah, Daniel, and any of the prophecies that you know uh, God uh, talks about, Ezekiel, and so I think the it's, if if we specifically read those prophecies by themselves, and then like okay, now we see this prophecy, and then now we see Jesus, you know. 
And does it fit the narrative? Does it does it fit the story of that prophecy? And so far, what we've read from the New Testament, um, it, it fits perfectly based on you know what Isaiah, you know Daniel and Ezekiel are talking about. You know, people have a you know the heart to desire God and to live with Him and all that stuff. And then like the makeup of the story, like who would have the time to really sit down and say, I'm going to create this cult religion. And then I'm going to make sure that everybody lives a, a, you know, a peaceful life and to write a story that, you know, come in to love your enemy as yourself to, for, you know, Jesus came to die for you. It's just not possible. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't sound like it is just something that you'd get up and make up something. If it was that, it would have been like a purpose to serve, you know, the individual person. Uh, and it would have had a lot more to about the person, you know. So I think that we could see that in the New Testament is that the fulfillment of the old, you know, the old prophecies. So without it, that will be left with a bunch of question marks. Well, and again, not to mention, like, you know, the way these people died, like unless, you know, every single thing in the Bible is a lie and every single thing, you know, in church tradition after that about how these these people who apparently this guy thinks lied. Um, people are not going to die for a lie. Like, don't you think like one of them would be like, oh, no, it was all lies. Sorry, he's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not God. No, no, I made that up. Like, uh, please don't murder me and torture me to death and, and all this stuff. Like, don't you think some of them would have, like, recanted to save their life? Like, instead of, like, being tortured for something they know is a lie? That just seems incredibly, I mean, like I said, Illuminati-level stuff. But, Price, what's up, Price? Welcome. What's up? Sorry, um, yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, what if they didn't know it was a lie? Well, at some point, someone would have had to, right? I wouldn't say it's a lie. Yeah, you're, you're, you're like putting words in my in my mouth. I, I don't think it's a lie. Uh, I, I do think that Jesus' followers believed that, uh, you know, he was very significant. And over time, you know, his significance became uh, more and more inflated, especially given the, the fact that they're you know, making a living from preaching, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they have uh, an, an incentive Not to, uh, to present their story. I mean, they believe that Jesus is, is very, you know, very important and probably the Messiah. They probably believe that, believe that he's the Messiah. Uh, somebody, somebody said, you know, they they saw Jesus raised from the dead, so they they readily believed that they didn't lie about it. They said, well, somebody saw Jesus, and uh, you know, and this this the person claims that they saw Jesus, and this this uh, you know after the resurrection, and so they you know eventually these things are written down, you know, decades after the fact when these stories <laughs> develop, you know, and uh, and you see, I mean, it's, it's it's completely reasonable for you know, there's plenty of religious movements that develop. Take, take Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons; they've existed for less than two two centuries, and their, their growth has exploded. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses are growing in numbers much faster than early early Christianity did. And, uh, you know, and uh, clearly, if you look at it, it looks like a lie to you, but uh, but to them it's not. But, they sincerely believe. Wait, wait, stop, stop. Hang on. You, you said a lot of things that need correcting. So, one, they didn't all make their, you know, make their total living from preaching. So, you know, Paul says a worker is deserving of his wages and talks about collections, but he also made tents to supplement. So, it's not like, you know, they were like making G6 televangelists salaries so they did have other jobs they did and secondly it's not like just one guy if i was being too too uh, cavalier with how you said with how i was saying you said lies you're certainly doing that on the opposite side so my bad if you didn't mean lies they sincerely believe this that happened to be incorrect got it but for your part you know it's not like they they totally made all their living from preaching and it's also not like only you're like a, a couple people here and there believed and said they saw jesus like it's reported lots of people so again if you want to say the bible's all, all incorrect fine 
But if you believe it at all, then it's reported that many, many, many people saw Jesus after he was raised to life, do miracles, and fly off into heaven. So if you, there's no way around it. Where I mean, you can he, say the where Bible's fly to? I'm just curious. Like when he flew up when, into when Jesus, heaven, where, where did he fly? The ascension when Jesus ascends to heaven. Well, what, what, so, where's heaven? Why, why did he fly up? I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Tell me, explain to me. That is that is wholly irrelevant, and you either know exactly. what you're doing is you either know what you're doing is deceitful, and you're a terrible person, or you're ignorant, which I'll help you out. So you just, move, you, you, you just move the goalpost to another field. So we're talking Jesus did empirical miracles, things that are physiologically impossible as we know them and understand them on earth. That's what we're talking about. Many people saw that. Are if there, you want to talk there, about why there, he flew up, if you want to talk about why he flew up or why he had to go to heaven, that we can have that. That's a different conversation. Who knows? Well, heaven is not up. So he, he flew up because people expected the heaven to be up, but heaven is not up. The point so is they do is, this flying. Oh. Okay. Hey, Nate, We're can done. I ask you a question, bro? Exactly. Yeah, hey, hang on one second. Hey, wait, wait, wait. wait I... Let me just... Wait, wait. But that man just captain. say heaven Hold is not that. up. Hold on. The point is, the dude flew. It's like the guy does signs and wonders in front of your face, claiming he's God, and you're like, heaven's not up. Heaven's not up. Repent and believe the gospel. The, the point is, Jesus is doing empirical miracles in front of people. That is the point. So if we don't get that, th I mean, that, that is the entire point. Okay, uh, who is next? What do you mean by empirical? No, that was me. I was asking a question. It was me. Testable, repeatable, in front of their faces. Can, can, can uh, I yeah. add quickly? Can I add quickly? Because I, 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 I think... Uh, oh, sorry. Who's that? Tommy? Yeah, okay. I'll ask a quick question um, real quick. Can I, can I add this uh, one more before you add another question? Yes, sir, you yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, so I think he, he talked about, you know, the disciples making money. Did you not read the story that they were crucified upside down? And many times when you read the story of Paul, he was uh, shipwrecked. He was uh, beaten. He was. So <laughs> if we look at even history, they were feeding to lions, all the Christians. So if this is what I'm saying, right? If, if you want to make a story, if you want to make a story up, this that supports your, you know, um, ideology or that supports your inner, you know, yourself that you don't want to make Jesus look weak. You don't want to make him look like that he's persecuted. And also, if that was the case, you know, if Jesus, you know, okay, he rose from the dead, you know, that part was, you know, it was a lie, blah, blah. But then the Jesus of the story that's made would have supported the people to say, hey, get up and fight your enemy and, uh, you know, uh, and don't kill those who persecute you. But we don't see that story. You see, if we see that story, it would have been, it would have made sense. Okay, you know this 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 religion looks like it's uplifting itself, but that's not the story. It literally says, "Love your enemy and do good to those who persecute you." And the disciples, after that, followed such thing, and that they do not pick up sword, they don't build armies, they don't build anything like that, but they actually die for their faith. So, um, what what whatever that guy was saying, it, it doesn't make any sense if he actually. Went it deeper and read the story. It's actually Christianity and, and Jesus, the life of Jesus. It was fully selfless. And, you know, it's basically uplifting others without even, you know, expecting anything back. So none of those people would have made, uh, you know, wealth or riches by being persecuted. And Tommy, we're going to come right to you. But yeah, what you just said, Sheep, 
and, and that's why Rich in comments says when Nate gets frustrated, he, he sounds like Naruto and yells, just believe it. Um, I, I don't, I, I know enough to know about Naruto. It's like an anime thing. I don't know. Is that like, it's not Dragon Ball Z, is it? But it's something anime. But I mean, the reason I do that, like repent, and believe the gospel, because ultimately that's what Jesus says, right? So that's the starting block. It's repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent uh, and believe the gospel. So I think I do that um, because it's also true and I believe it. But I, I do that as kind of like a, I don't know, this is what you need. Like when we're like talking about like the miracles of Jesus and the point, like you just said, uh, Sheep, the point is Jesus is doing miracles. It's incredibly impossible or impossible that these, these disciples would have done this knowing like all the, all the hell that was in store for them uh, if they had less than impure motives. So like they really believed it. Which Constantine says, well, of course they believe it was they really mean lie. Anyways, uh, but oh, hang on. So um, that's why that's why I do that because when I'm like repent, believe the gospel, it means you're so far in the weeds, like you, you may never be lost. You're never gonna find your way out of this on your own. So it would behoove you to just repent and believe the gospel. And uh, the people who are supposed to hear that will, and they will do that, and they'll become Christians. Anyways, that's the, the uh, beautiful. Yes. Tommy. You said you said so many interesting things in your last statement. It was just crazy. Hey, uh, mm, I got two questions, right? Uh, do you believe? Do you do you do you believe that Adam was holy yeah. in the beginning of creation? Depending how we say holy, sure. Like before the fall, before he disobeyed. Sure, unless you say it holy is something way different than I mean, like holy is reserved only for God or something. I'd say, okay, well, then no, not like that. But holy is like, you know, without without flaw or something, then sure. So, oh, so you don't subscribe to the fact that Adam was sanctified. Depends how you decide. sanctified. Like, I just want to make sure we're we're not saying like Adam is God or Adam is some type of God or something. Nah, but it, it's, it's interesting that you said that, you know, like, that you said that he wasn't necessarily sanctified or preserved to the Lord. You you did say that, right? Well, what does that mean? That's what he's saying. What does that mean? What does what mean? Preserved to the Lord? Sanctified? No, no all, all your terms. <laughs> like, holy and sanctified. Like, I know what it means to me. But I don't know what it means to you. So I'm just trying to get on the same page because if I okay. say, you know, Adam was holy, like yeah. how I described it, I said, if we're saying Adam was holy, meaning, you know, the fall hadn't happened and he was just he was just fine and everything was as it should be, then then fine. He's holy. I mean, you know, it means set apart. So you, know, you could say he's set apart. And sure, I could go with that. But if you say okay. he's holy, like, you know, he has a divine nature and he's like, you know, part of God, I, I'd say, well, no, I can't go there. So we're just trying to figure out what you mean by the words you're using. So holy and sanctified. Yeah, we try to be on the just, same page. Okay, so or you could just yeah, jump to the end. Just yeah. jump to the end and let it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well, well. The end of it is, I guess. I guess, basically, what you're asking for is my point of view on that, right? Um, no. Nah, I'd be asking for book chapter. Well, yeah, I just want to know, like, where you're leading us. Like, what's the what's the point you want to make? Or. Yeah, yeah. If well, you said sure, you believe Adam is holy, and I looked up holy. That means to be consecrated in, to the Lord. Uh, I, I'm to be honest. I may disagree with that scripturally. And I may disagree it with it, but we don't know what you're talking about, so we're just trying to get on the same page. Well, well, I, well, I, I'm making sense. Well, 
I don't believe Adam was holding. Okay. Um, sure. What so does that mean? Let's say we agree with. Let's say we agree with that. What's What's the next thing you would say? So let's Let's just say for this discussion, we all agree Adam was not holding. Uh, then what? All right. So boom. If Adam wasn't holy, it would kind of give us a clear indication on what iniquity and how how it challenges us as believers or Christians when it comes to understanding iniquity and sin and how detrimental it is in the perception of God. Boom. I mean, throughout the whole throughout the entire scriptures, you hear you clearly hear Christ. You clearly hear God speaking about iniquities and sins, but yet I notice the Christian church conflate these as if they're the same and they're not the same, and there's a misunderstanding going on. That's why. So, what is the difference between iniquity and sin? Say that again. What is the difference between iniquity and sin? Iniquity is the thought of the sin, the sin is the act. Of what? the evil or wickedness or perversion or whatever you want, uh, un unrighteousness or whatever you want to call it, unholy. What? <laughs> yeah. Hold on, what? You made you, you made you, it seem like I was speaking in Spanish. Yeah, you are. Nah, I won't. Like, it's it's the, hold on. Problem. Let me let me say it slowly. Let me say it slowly. Let me let me let me say it slowly. No, no. Let me let me say it because I don't I don't think you got it. I don't think you got it. Really, let me say it slowly. Inic the difference between what I believe the difference between iniquity and sin. Iniquity is the thought of evil or uh, unrighteousness or pervertedness. It's the thought. Sin is the act. Do you see the distinction? I see the distinction you're making. Right. I think that it's a false dichotomy. Yeah, that's cool. We can we can argue we can we can we can argue it scripturally, but I know for a fact it's not. It's proven in the scriptures. Uh, I could give you give you a, hold on. This is a perfect example I can give you real quick. Ezekiel twenty eight and fifteen talks about Lucifer. Talks about before creation. Talks about a thought that Lucifer had in him. I will make myself like the Most High God. Then it tells it says. Iniquity was found in you. I will make myself like the most high God. Then you sinned. Of course, we all know about the fall. I mean, of course, we all know about the rebellion in the world of heaven and the third of the angels. So you can say it. You can say it don't make sense to you, but scripturally. I, I, just, do, I just don't know what the conclusion is. Like, do you believe like for, for like, is this a. I just don't know where you're going. Like if someone says, what's the point you're trying to make? What's the biggest thing you want to make? I'd say, believe, repent and believe the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. By grace, through faith, you've been saved. Uh, ask to be born again. Ask to receive eternal life. There you go. That's the ultimate point of Christianity. So by the time we're talking about what is iniquity versus sin, what is holy, like does that have anything to do with what I just said? Because if it doesn't conflict with anything I just said that is the ultimate point of Christianity, then this is just something to talk about i i don't know like it's, with, it's with, not with, with all due it's not respect, important enough to quibble about well i'm gonna be honest though with all due respect i'm gonna be honest though uh nate with and this is no disrespect but with all due respect uh the word christian is only in the bible three times it so i don't it. think that i don't yo yo peace well, it's so, irrelevant. Uh, like 
hang well, on. So, well, well, wait, it's wait, not wait, irrelevant no, no. to my hold point. On, hold on. So let's address one thing first. Does the point you're trying to make have anything to do? Like, are you trying to say there's a different Jesus or a different way to salvation or a different way to eternal life? No, I think, you're, like I think you're super anxious to try to figure out what I'm saying, and I'm saying it. I'm kind of throwing it out there. Christianity is not the end goal for God. Okay, great. That that helps so much. And I'm anxious because I also have to leave too. So I'm trying to like get this hammered out. But I'd say if you don't want to say Christian, if you don't like the term Christian, um, I'd say what I said, which I didn't say Christian in that. But if you think the ultimate point of the Bible, the ultimate point of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his death, or resurrection, that's the point. So if the, if you want to, if you don't like the word Christian, call it onion. The answer to life is onion. If you explain it like that. Oh Jesus yeah, Christ, okay. I would, uh, it pertains to the gospel. I'm completely. I think okay. mine's were for the sake of doctrine. Okay. Well, anyone else have anything to say quickly before I got to run? I've overstayed my time here. Yeah, what's going on, family? Peace to the room. <clears throat> yeah, no, just kind of to speak to that, um, the ultimate goal of the eternal one is belief in the Messiah who will provide eternal life. Um, Noah believed in this coming seed. Adam believed in this coming seed. The whole priestly line that we read about believed in this coming seed and that was the gospel proclaimed directly from the creator's mouth to our first parents um that was the glimmer of hope in this terrible situation that they found themselves in and so you know you can call them christians because they believed in the christ even though that wasn't a word or you can just call them believers because they believed in this promise uh it wasn't all of the instructions that gave eternal life that showed and taught us how to be like the holy creator um, but it was belief in this seed that's what changed their life right there and that's what changed their eternal destination and on that note uh shalom shalom and uh everyone have a good rest of your day take care everybody shalom room <laughs>